Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Oprah Winfrey. And I'm. I'm Oprah too. Who am I? I'm Gail. <laughs> <laughs> You're Oprah too. We're all Oprah. Um, I'm it's, Amina Tuso. <laughs> and I'm Ann Friedman. It's a real week to week kind of thing. You know, are you feeling Oprah or Gail? I did some gardening it's yesterday. True. So, you know. Uh, so you feel fraudulent like Oprah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I've got the unnatural California advantage as well. Like feeling very Oprah in that moment. Oh my gosh. On this week's agenda, scrunchies are back. Ivanka is dressed up and playing scientist. The New York Times is revisiting the women that its obituary section overlooked, and National Geographic is undergoing a racial reckoning. Plus, when your gay faves publicly struggle with trans and non binary identities, and when being a good friend means letting your friends help you. I'm very excited because the LA blood drive is happening imminently. Like if people are listening to this episode on the day it drops, it's happening tomorrow, which is very exciting. Oh my god. Gina and I are going to be there. I know, going to be there IRL, going to like uh I'm going to start hydrating like as early as tomorrow morning, trust. Like I'm going to be That's right. Hydrate, eat well, pack a snack. The other exciting news is we've added a new blood drive date in Richmond, Virginia. So shout out to The Broad, which is a women-oriented, women-friendly co-working and event space that's hosting. We also have a partnership with Be The Match, the bone marrow registry, where there is a special link. It's linked on all of the individual blood drive pages and all over our website where people who maybe cannot give due to discriminatory FDA regulations may be able to sign up for the bone marrow registry and contribute to the drive in that way. Oh my gosh, my heart is so full. I'm really overwhelmed. Thanks to everyone who has been sending in pictures and tweets from all over the world. Um, I got a like I got a listener from Thailand yesterday who reached out, and I like my jaw dropped. So many Canadians. I'm convinced it is true that Canadians are like the nicest people in the world. It is true. Every um, province is represented, really. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah. And our like UK fans, my heart is really full. So thank you all so, so, so much. It means the world to me. And if you are anywhere in the world and want to give as part of this and tell us about it, or if you want to find the details for a drive in your area, because now they're coming up quick, you can go to callyourgirlfriend.com slash blood drive all one word, blood drive. Get all the info there and we will see you at the blood drive. <laughs> yes, New York. See you in a couple weeks. Yes. I have to hit you with the best quote that I have seen on the internet all week that made me laugh so hard and like immediately text it to several people. Did you see that Wall Street Journal article about scrunchies, the scrunchie coming back? <laughs> Of course, please tell the people who is quoted in the scrunchie article. Okay, I'm just going to read the quote and, and then pause and then maybe people can guess who it is. Quote, I have been wearing scrunchies for years. My best scrunchies come from Zurich. Next best, London. And third best, Rome. Any guesses about who this like well-traveled scrunchie wearer might be? 
Oh my god. Legal scholar and scrunchie wearer. <laughs> <laughs> Notorious legal scholar and scrunchie wearer. Um, oh my god. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Justice of the United States. I am just beyond thrilled that the Wall Street Journal was able to get Supreme Court Justice RBG to discuss scrunchies with them. Like, what a world we're living in. You know, she does <laughs> wear them. She officiated friend of the podcast, Erin Carmone's wedding, and she was definitely wearing a scrunchie there. Was it like lace and black velvet? That's totally what I <laughs> It was not lace and black velvet. It was very wedding appropriate, though. But I just, you know, like, I appreciate somebody who has, like, you know, their style and substance has not changed throughout the years. I love that. I hope to be that person for fancy sweatpants in my Oof. in my heyday. I was just about to ask you what style touchstone you were carrying through like the entire way. For me, it's it's definitely um, turtlenecks. As someone who is always cold, has a pretty long neck, and loves wrapping things around it, I feel like that's something I can go with for a lifetime. Oh my god! Speaking of T-necks, I'm sorry. I'm going to digress a little bit. Sidebar: Did you see that <laughs> picture of Ivanka looking like a scientist? Ugh, yeah. You I know mean, the photo like I'm Halloween talking about? Costume photo. Yes, yes she's wearing a T-neck in the photo. And I'm like, listen, I'm not even a real scientist, but like, I know that this scientist cosplay is all wrong. <laughs> like, she's wearing a T-neck. She's pouring into a thing that she's holding herself. Everything about it is fake. And I'm like, stop doing fake science cosplay. I'm like, is this your Elizabeth Holmes Halloween costume? I know. Is that what Elizabeth this is? Holmes, a, the biggest Silicon Valley scammer in the history of scamming. Scammers are attempting to co-opt the turtleneck aesthetic, and I, I'm, I'm here to push back against it. I would also like to say I wear a turtleneck in a variety of colors, and not just black. Listen, as a, a close friend of ours who is uh, works in the lab said, turtlenecks are lab safety violation. Also, you got to tie. <laughs> if you have long hair, you have to tie it back. And uh, you can't pour into a container that you're directly holding. And nobody uses volumetric flasks like Ivanka's using in that picture. So I'm just saying, standing up for the Steminists everywhere. You know what it kind of reminds me of, too? Every bad rom-com where it's like a nerdy girl gets a makeover, you know, where, where she's <laughs> obviously, obviously like they only take off her glasses and like overpluck her eyebrows and, and like straighten her hair or something. And then I'm like looking at you, Princess Diaries, et cetera, <laughs> you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, she's beautiful. It's like, that's what this photo reminds me of, like the before phase of like actually a super like mainstream acceptable body and physical traits like an every way type character pre-transformation into hottie mchottie like that's what this photo totally looks like. <laughs> it's also this other pr thing of i'm like god this administration is so bad at messaging because all they're doing is like trying to find glory for themselves it's like how hard is it for you to find a woman scientist or you know like even young girls and make them the object of the campaign right it's like why do you have to pretend that the president's like dumb, dumb daughter knows how to science. There is a part of me that's like, yes, lots of different images of different types of people being sciencey is cool, but also like just get it together. But like those women exist, like find them. Exactly. You don't have to, you know, it, this is just so hilarious to me for so many reasons. And also I'm like, wow, way to meme yourself. I'm going to be using this photo. <laughs> 
for ages to come. Thank you. It's going to be like the Julia Roberts, like math conspiracy meme. Yes. Like, but you use this. Yeah. Like when I'm like, when I'm like, Amina, can I wear this type of face mask after doing this type of peel? You can just send me the Ivanka science photo with like your non-scientific advice. Exactly. I'm going to be like, girl, don't let your face melt. <laughs> <sighs> these people, these people. Let's actually talk about the news. One million people, thank you, sent us this New York Times overlooked obituary project. As devoted listeners know, we are deep readers of the obit section in the New York Times and elsewhere. So relevant to our interests. What do you think about it? I mean, awesome. Like, you know, I'm like as a as a package to make the New York Times get great women and people of color content. I thought it was good. But I also think that they managed to skate away without really deeply examining their own legacy of not paying attention to underrepresented people in obituaries. Oh, yeah. So we should back up a tiny bit and explain that this project is essentially taking stock of some of the hugely influential and like culturally and politically and all kinds of other ways, important women who did not even receive the New York Times obituary treatment, such as Ida B. Wells. Right, like, the mother of reporting, of modern day reporting. Yeah, like to whom every investigative journalist owes a debt. I'm like, things that perhaps made sense if you're sticking with the norms of the racist and sexist society of the time, but like do not hold up under like what you claim is news scrutiny or like impartial, <laughs> unbiased news scrutiny, right? So yeah, so it's a section which was, it was like emotional to read and realize like how many women have been written out of history. Like that was, in some ways it was like, that is a nice acknowledgement. But like, yeah, as you say, they totally shirk the responsibility for examining why that happened, like their role in it, and also how that's going to change moving forward. Right. And then it's fascinating to have that conversation in the backdrop of the other conversation that's happening around ideology with National Geographic. National Geographic basically is <laughs> admitting that they are a publication that has always depended on exoticism. And they're examining their own racist past and seeing if it's something that they can escape it's so fascinating. Like, I grew up reading National Geographic. I definitely felt those influences. It's something that they're paying attention to. Like, basically what happened is that Susan Goldberg is Nat Geo's first uh, woman and first a Jewish editor. The forthcoming April issue is basically an issue all about race. You've probably seen that cover. It has the the two twin sisters on it and one white, one's black. Uh, the thing that's fascinating, honestly, is the letter to the editor in there. So Susan Goldberg basically reached out to a UVA photography and African history professor, John Edwin Mason at UVA. I follow him on Twitter and he is great. You should follow him on Twitter too. She reached out to him basically to examine how the magazine has presented people of different races to its American readers over the year. He reviewed all their published and unpublished photo archives and all the sample issues that they had at the UVA library. And it will not shock you to find that up until the 60s and 70s, Nat Geo basically was depicting mostly like brown and black people as traditional and backward, wearing minimal clothing. You get the stereotype. You know what I mean? Right. And also not depicting people of color who lived in the United States at all. 
like just like not acknowledging them unless they happen to be like to quote the article laborers or domestic workers. Totally. And so Professor Mason like looks at all the ways that the magazine basically started to change due to like the very reality of decolonization in Africa and the civil rights movement. That's what forced them to reckon with the racism. But they're only starting to do that work now. And I thought that the letter to the editor was like very compelling. I thought that laying out the project like this and making it a partnership with somebody who is an expert about these issues is also very thoughtful. Also framing the conversation as like, can we escape our past? Because this is how we've done things. I'm like, I'm down for this conversation. It is hard, but it's worth it because Nat Geo is a great publication. And as somebody who has felt like alienated for it for years or my whole life, now I feel like I can dive back in again. Yeah, and it's like the the articles um, that are a part of the New York Times overlooked section do acknowledge the fact that like when many of these women died, like the activist and performer Marsha P. Johnson is a great example, you know, central figure in the gay liberation movement, super important. She died in the summer of 1992, and the article in the Times just says her death did not attract much notice in the mainstream press. And it's like, hmm, chin-stroke thinking emoji. <laughs> like, the idea the idea that, like, maybe, like, her identity had something to do with that is certainly acknowledged a little bit and implied, but it's like, you know, they don't go as far as to say, like, yeah, the New York Times at that time did not acknowledge that the leaders of the gay liberation movement, especially in New York City, were trans women of color or, you know, like it doesn't kind of go that extra step that I do feel that the National Geographic one does as well, which is also highly specific about the the specific ways that stereotypes were advanced. So like the National Geographic things mentions in specific the fact that often people of color were depicted as like, quote, uncivilized, fascinated by like, quote, civilized Western technology. Like the photos are set up where there is like a white person holding a camera with native people, like just look Mm -hmm. straight up, just looking at it. But the way it was contextualized made it seem like, oh, these like noble savages entranced by like technology from the future or something, which is National Geographic admitting that this is context. And this is like the editorial choices they made over and over. And like, while it's kind of nice, it's nice to be like, yeah, there's finally a New York Times obituary for Marsha P. Johnson. It's not the same kind of reckoning with the details. Yeah, I agree with that. This podcast is all about like, uh, keep your third eye wide open. (laughs) So (laughs) this conversation is not happening in a vacuum, right? And even um, examining what that cover story is about the black and white twins, I'd be curious to hear uh, your thoughts when you read it. It's like, yes, they're making a step in the right direction, you know, but I think that still holding them to a rigorous standard is real and also making sure that this conversation is not happening in silos. So to that end, Doreen St. Felix, who is also a friend of the pod and has been on CYG, wrote like a great critique of this in The New Yorker, which we will link in the show notes. So do your Googles, do your reading, and then make up your own mind. Yeah. And The New York Times is inviting people to submit other names of people who they've overlooked in the obituary section, which I think is fine. But I think that that form could also be used to sort of say like, hello, this is the work that's being done right now that is not being given the billing that it should be for the exact same structural reasons as you missed many of these obituaries many years ago. So, um, Right, there's nothing more frustrating than hearing like a media person say, oh, the media is not covering X, Y, Z. I'm like, hmm, if only you had a place where you could do this work and get paid for it every day. Hmm. Yeah. 
100%. And yeah, and shout out to the historians like John Edwin Mason and the critics who are contributing to this conversation. And, you know, there's a world in which it's totally fair to say, like, National Geographic, go fuck yourself, right? Like, you have a terrible history. And I just, like, I also want to acknowledge the labor being done by people internally and externally to create some accountability here and to, like, bring some of these, like, details to light and, and prompt us all to think about it. Because, like, Lord knows it's not a requirement to put in that kind of effort to correct these institutions. But I, like, I am incredibly appreciative of the people who are doing it. Right, you know, and they are institutions. You can't say, like, F you so-and-so, but... National Geographic has been around 130 years and serves like a really important purpose. <laughs> it's probably not going away. So we might as well learn how to work in the system, right? I see you, capitalism, doing your dirty tricks, up to your dirty tricks again. But also, I want to further knowledge and awareness of our world. So let's do this together. One hundo. It also, you know, there's like a nice recipe here, too, for how does change happen at an institutional level, right? Like part of it is like the politics of the moment change or like the culture changes. But another part of it is um, people who are thinking about this come into power, um, which is clearly the, the case with National Geographic. They solicit the help and expertise of people on the outside who maybe to previous people might have been like threatening critics and say like we welcome your perspective on what we can do better there's a lot of elements to each of these stories that provide a nice blueprint moving forward agreed also don't think that like i'm not continuing to watch the new york times obituary section like a hawk to see who gets covered and who doesn't you know i mean i definitely right or who's gonna be like you know who's like who's gonna be praised for their work and who's gonna be praised for their recipes like we see you right yeah i mean i get like a new york times headlines email every day and the bottom three links are always obituaries and Let me tell you the number of days that all three of those obituaries are to men. It's like, okay, you know, like, it's not just about looking backward. Have you considered (laughs) that women never die, Anne? Maybe that's what's going on here. Right. The like vampire women uh, are never being right. We're all living in an age of Adeline over and over. Oh my God. I can't. I can't even. Did you just compare all women to Blake Lively? I know, but I'm like, shout out Age of (laughs) Adeline getting a name drop in 2018. Who would have thought? (laughs) Who would have thought? Not even me. Age of Adeline's biggest fan. I don't is age of I never even saw it. Is Age of Adeline like the reverse Benjamin Button? Oh or something? my god, it's that and everything else. Age of Adeline is an amazing movie. So you know how Blake Lively makes everything she's in look like an expensive perfume ad? Like that's how beautiful she is. <laughs> it is possible that she is at her most beautiful in this movie. So anyway, yeah, Adeline stars like all of my favorite people. Basically, at the turn of the 20th century, she has a freak accident, so she becomes ageless. She goes through like many, many, many decades of being alone because, you know, she's like, if I invest in a relationship, then I'm a vampire. It's not going to work out. And then she meets uh, Michael Huseman, my boyfriend, and uh, (laughs) and she falls for him. And then he takes her home and it turns out that her first love was his dad. And it's like, okay, that's super weird. Yeah, it's like, wow, no, you got to watch it. Kathy Baker is great in it. Like Harrison Ford. It's insane. Okay, I I just like do not understand why that is romantic. And this is a bad movie. I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page about this. This is a terrible movie. 
but it's a romantic fantasy film. And the whole time you're like, what is going on here? Also, Ellen Bernstein. Come on. I love it when a movie has like a star studded cast and it's bad. Only the patriarchy would freeze a woman at age 29 before she's had a chance to peak. That is like I so know, rude. But you know what? She's like so <laughs> smart about everything. She knows everything. She works at like a library and everybody's like, how do you have such great recall? And she can't be like, I live through this. Also, like, if you live in San Francisco, it's, like, a beautiful San Francisco-like based movie. But I want to be clear, this movie is bad. Like, this is what, you know, like, some of us watch bad movies as comfort. This is very bad. Um, also. But, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean. And also, have you maybe, seen Michael Huseman? Excuse me? I know, I'm doing a Google right now. What would I know him from? Uh, Dario Naharas and Game of Thrones. And like, I don't, you know, I don't watch, I know. And various who movies that you've never seen. Also, his name is Michael, but spelled like Michelle, M-I-C-H-I-E-L. Ooh, he's dimply. Yeah, like jaw porn, (laughs) dimple porn. He's hot. (laughs) Okay. I get it. You know, he's one of those European that's like a, you know, actor, musician, singer, songwriter. He does all of it. Speaks like 10 languages. Um, that's not true. Wow. And this IMD fo- IMDB photo is him in a turtleneck and we're full circle. <laughs> I'm going to make you watch just specific episodes of his on Game of Thrones because he replaced somebody who was like way too beautiful. This guy like left and so they brought him on the next season and I'm so glad that they did that replacement. But like, yeah, he's, you know what, Anne? You've seen him. He was in Treme. He was like that bad guy. Like, oh, you remember yeah, yeah. That guy. Okay. So that you finally hit on a piece of relevant media to exactly. me. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, wait, like, I'm like, I know we have. Also, you've probably seen him in Young Victoria, mm, World, skip World War Z. I'm like, <laughs> I'm skip just that like, one. A, I'm really outing myself here. <laughs> he was also like the hot boyfriend in Nashville. That no, nope. that Raina, Raina's a fool. <laughs> she should have gone to St. Lucia with him, and Nashville would have ended there, season one, because they would have just been happy together. And instead, she let him go do Game of Thrones. <laughs> Can we back up, though? Like, truly, I've been waiting the entire time that Game of Thrones has been running for for a friend of mine to offer to, like, basically watch on Fast Forward, editing, like, and talking to me about, like, what is happening. Slash, like, okay, here, you need to see Mike, Michael Huseman. You need to see, like, this dragon's moment. And like, forward, forward, forward You know forward what we're doing rapes. when you're here, then, in April. That's what we're doing. <laughs> you know? You should have just asked. Oh, my God, really? That would make me so happy. Like, all I want is, like, the, the visual Wikipedia version of Game of Thrones I got with, you. like, with like 80% less violence. I got you. The first couple of seasons, oh it's, like, just very bad. We'll just watch, like, hot sex scenes. And then yes. um, I'll skip the rapey ones because that's real. But in the last season, it's the first time, I guess, that, like, the CGI or whatever, the technology has caught up to my expectations. <laughs> I watched, like, a dragon battle scene and literally my jaw was on the floor i was like oh is this what people who like video games feel like all the time (laughs) is this the emotion that it's supposed to bring out in you the technology has caught up to my expectations now so i can watch fantasy tv shows it's cool i was already excited to visit you but now i'm just like wow we have a mission (laughs) like we have a mission i'm just gonna show you all the hunks the hunks of uh game of thrones Hunks and like powerful women triumphing. Oh, like yeah. that's the super cut that I want. Don't worry. Yeah. They're all evil. It's going to be great. I like Game of Thrones, is the Ugh. only TV show that you will root for an evil woman because you're like, oh, you're winning. <laughs> wow. This is going to help me understand literally every Shangela comment from RuPaul's Drag Race All Stars 3. <laughs> Shangela was robbed. <sighs> 
she was robbed. Oh my God. Like I, in what world, in what world? That's all I have to say. Was Does Shangela not Shangela win? was robbed and I'm like very upset about it. Hi, Amina. Thank you so much for speaking with me last week. Art Patty and Build Patriarchy HQ have been blowing up since I spoke with you guys. I've been getting so many incredible messages and have been ugly crying reading them. And I just wanted to share some of them with you. The messages I'm about to read are actually from people who have filled out the quiz and then chose to forward their invoice onto their representative. And here are some of the messages that they included along with their invoices. Women set themselves aside daily for the benefit of their families, but to the detriment of themselves, which is so true. Here's another one. I know my value. It's time our elected representatives operated like they know it too. This one I think says it really succinctly. Household work is valuable and deserves a higher value placed on it by society. The best and most effective way to send that message is through legislation overhaul, preferably in the forms of state-provided child care and health care, paid parental leave, and fair regulations for paid sick and vacation time. I'm so grateful to everybody who has filled it out. And of the 700 people who have taken the quiz, about half of them have then gone on to send their invoices to their representatives. So that's a pretty significant number. So we are growing. The matriarchy is here, you guys. Another thing that is kind of interesting is how many hours uh, people worked on things. So when you take the quiz, you say how many hours a week you spend cleaning, cooking on household management and childcare. And the average for each of those was nine hours cleaning, eight hours cooking, eight hours of household management, and 80 hours a week of childcare, which is amazing. That means that the average salary that women reported is just over $100,000, making the total amount due $72 million as of Wednesday afternoon. So that is just for one year of work. It really goes to show just how much value we're doing that isn't being recorded anywhere. So keep taking the quiz, everyone. And I really look forward to seeing how many letters we can fax the patriarchy together. Thanks. Speaking of drag race, have you been following up with the RuPaul controversy recently? 
Well, I, I've read the sort of the series of interviews. I have not read a lot of side chatter about it, but I definitely read the big interviews in question. Maybe you could summarize. I love RuPaul. I love Drag Race. I have to be honest that like my fave is problematic. The summary is that like it's been really fascinating to watch Ru like kind of navigate through trans issues. It's definitely been like an issue on Drag Race since the beginning of Drag Race. Remember when the email used to be called SheMail? Indeed, right? And people made a stink about it, appropriately so. And the show was like very slow to change that and RuPaul was very dismissive of it. Right. If it was up to me, I wouldn't have changed it, but the network has agreed to change it. Like, that was kind of my first, like, mm, this is not cool, but I love this show so much. It gives me so much. I'm going to do that emoji of the monkey's eyes, ears. <laughs> like, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> and yeah. that was, like, the first time that I was really challenged as a watcher, but I think that, like, Logo did right by everybody. And recently, RuPaul has been on the interview circuit talking about basically how drag race is not a place for uh, trans people because right. it's, not, um, it's not transgressive in the same way, which is like an insane thing if you think about it. It's just like, really? Right, like that is the standard? Right, yeah. it's like, really? Like, this is a standard um, that like makes no sense. Also, you know, the acronym is LGBTQ plus a lot of other things <laughs> that we're all catching mm -hmm. up to. But I'm like, you know, the T and LGBTQ has been there for a while. Like, we should all be used to this now. It's fine to be like, this is challenging my own sense of, you know, like, I don't know, like how I understand the world. But in 2018, like, you can't be like, the acronym is LGB, you know, or LG. Like, that does not work. That's not where we're at. Right. It's also willfully ignorant of people who have been on Rue's own show, you know, Monica Beverly Hills and Peppermint. And like, there is actually a history of trans performers on the show. Like, I'm so glad you brought up Peppermint, for example, because Rue's whole thing about Peppermint was that like Peppermint had not gone through any kind of body modification while she was a drag race contestant. And I was like, this is literally what trans people have been trying to teach us since the beginning of time, that it's not about mm -hmm. what their bodies look like. Right. You know, and we all fall into that like dumb justification and whatever. And it is really shocking to see somebody whose like politics I like so much and I appreciate, you know, fall back on these like very tired, tired stereotypes. But also, you know, mostly it was just like a refusal to learn. For a lot of cis people, I think that it's easy to think that only straight people do this, but that's not true. It's like, here's RuPaul, who is like an icon, you know, and like like a queer icon, not being comfortable in that role. And I was like, okay, like this is a thing that we all need to unpack. Because RuPaul's also, you know, definitely like later in the years. <laughs> so I understand where the reluctance <laughs> comes from. But it is a really ignorant thing to not know that trans folks were there at the beginning of the civil rights movement and they've been there for like gay rights since the beginning. It's not a new phenomenon. There were trans folks at Stonewall. So to think that like they cannot participate in drag culture is nuts to me. Yeah, completely. And like, it's a very weird thing too for someone who's like guiding light catchphrase is you're born naked and the rest is drag. 
to be like policing what naked parts are like required for drag or like above and beyond. I don't know. Like it's like, it's just so incoherent, like with the kind of deeper ethos and ideology that makes me and lots of other people love drag as an art form and like love the show, even despite like problems like this, you know? Yeah, I know. I, I don't know. For me, it was like a very humbling lesson. And like one, like even your heroes like mess up and you need to admit to it. And the other thing, too, that, it, like, this just all brought into perspective. I'm like, well, well, you know, like, Drag Race is one of the most delightful corners of television. This is always great. If I can spend the rest of the Trump years doing this, I'd probably be very happy just watching this exclusively. Mm-hmm. But it's just this realization that, like, if you are somebody who has any kind of power over any kind of marginalized group, it costs you nothing to listen to them. There is a world in which you can say, okay, this challenges me and I don't quite understand it, but it's not that important to me to call the dumb email shemale and so I will accommodate you. Or say, like, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around these pronouns, but you are a human being who's worthy of being listened to and worthy of everybody's full attention. I will try this for you. It literally, like, costs us nothing. Right, like, is your low-stakes joke worth someone's emotional, like, distress? That's the thing that I've been, like, really struck by. I'm like, it literally, like, costs us nothing to be allies to Mm -hmm. so many people. It costs us nothing. Like, you don't have to pat yourself on the back. We are not heroes. We are not being brave. We're not even being accommodating. We are just catching up with the world that we live in. And the other thing is that we ask other people to make these accommodations for us all the time. I'm like, RuPaul, come on now. You know, like... You're always on the interview circuit talking about how if you did not present the way that you presented, you would be a bigger deal in television and you'd be invited to the Emmys and all this stuff. And I was like, wow, like representation matters to you. Imagine how much more it matters to somebody who's more marginalized than you, you know, and I'm like, and I'm guilty of that, too. So it was just like a really good reminder. You're right that this has been like a long running issue, but the interview where a lot of this stuff that Rue has been criticized for more recently came up in this Guardian conversation from earlier this month and the reporter went out of their way to kind of describe him as being like a little nervous or a little cagey when these when these questions came up and clearly like not really secure in like the statements that he was making which is one thing right like I understand feeling like you're out of your depth when it comes to stuff like this even though like as someone whose name is at the top of a television show like Drag Race you probably should have thought about this I understand feeling like you are like a little unsure in like staking out a really strong position however then after that interview dropped RuPaul tweeted, and this is like where I just like, you really lost me on this one. Like this is unacceptable. Tweeted, you can take performance enhancing drugs and still be an athlete, just not in the Olympics. I know, that was really messed up. Mm -hmm. The implication being that someone getting surgery to transition, like is the framework here, would be unqualified to like, I just can't even get over the number of levels of offensive that that is. And how, like, you know, like you were saying, it costs you nothing to accommodate. But this is, like, worse than that. This is, like, stepping the other direction of I'm going to deliberately antagonize people who are, like, feeling pain over my point of view about this. Ugh. It's so unfortunate, like, the defensiveness that we all feel. Because the truth is that even for people who think that they're liberal and they're, like, you know, like, we're all little firecrackers and we're we're making a new way in the world... It's good to remind yourself that there are things that also scare you and that there are things that you don't Mm -hmm. understand. Like I'm thinking about um, this wonderful actor, Asia Kate Dillon, who is um, on a show I love, Billions. Hello. Um, Hello. And and on Billions (laughs) plays 
plays Taylor, a gender non-conforming character, and gave an incredible performance. Their name gets submitted to the Emmys. Their pronouns are they, them. Gets submitted to the Emmys in the actress category. And it was actually like a really good learning moment because Asia Kate Dillon, in all of their graciousness, wrote a letter addressing this. And they're like, here is how I feel about the words actress and actor. I would like to be categorized in the actor category. And the Emmys did that. They were like, thank you for this dialogue. This is a thing that we have never had to deal with before. And then a couple of weeks later, I was watching this Ellen interview, you know, work from home vibes, always watching the Ellen show. <laughs> and Asia K. Dillon is sitting on the Ellen show, which is a big deal for, you know, like uh, any new actor. Sure, it's huge. And Ellen, like, literally goes into the, like, I'm gay. I don't understand this pronouns thing. I don't understand this trans thing. Like, in a very, like, kind of like, I'm like, whoa, like, Ellen, your mom? You know, like, it's like kind of like your parents embarrassing you this way. It took me aback, too. And I was like, I just can't expect that, like, everybody knows what's going on just because, you know, like, we all say that we, like, share the same politics or whatever. But in that conversation, like, I'll link to the clip in the show notes because I remember just being so annoyed and taken aback by Ellen's questioning and her reaction. But Asia Kate Dillon, like, did not have to do this, but they were very gracious and they explained it. Activism is like 50% education and 50% coalition building, right? You don't have to do it if you don't want to and you shouldn't have to explain your humanity to anyone. I felt like I learned a lot in that like 15 minutes of TV and it was very humbling and I wish that like that gender non-conforming people or trans people or anybody has to explain like their humanity to the world. They should just be able to move on. We all have access to Al Gore's internet and we can look this stuff up for ourselves. Yeah, and there's also like there's there's a couple of different pieces to it, right? So there's like step one, like even expecting someone to do the work to educate you beyond just expressing a preference. Like it's it's I feel like it's reasonable to ask someone like how they're most comfortable being being referred to or what pronouns they like mm. or that sort of thing. Like that's easy and we should all be doing that. But you know, you can also take the next step and do a Google. And if you're unwilling to do that, like the least thing you can do is listen when someone's going out of their way to explain to you how they exist in the world and would like to be addressed. And if you can't do that even, like that's the thing, like, you know, there are tears here, right? You know, if you can't even like listen to and respect someone who's going out of their way to educate you and somehow you actively feel threatened or think that it's like, it's make it all about you in the kind of like example of that RuPaul tweet. It's just like, wow, like I really don't understand how you get all the way there. Like it is quite quite something. And, you know, to your point, too, about talking about this in terms of public figures like RuPaul and Ellen, you know, and I think we've talked about this some as it relates to, like, a few other issues like reproductive health. But if you are, like, in constant defensive mode against people who are coming for your rights and your humanity, you're sort of, like, you see the value in being, like, okay, like, even though LGBTQ... IA, everything encompasses a lot of very different identities, issues, joys, struggles, everything. Like we're talking about a lot of different types of experiences with that category. It's because the tendency to kind of like want to be on the same team and like fight against like pressure and oppression that is like kind of coming from the same place of bigotry, that can obscure like a lot of those differences sometimes, especially when you get to a point where you've got only a few very public or very powerful media figures who are a member of that community. And I think that there's like something going on too about like what being under attack 
politically and culturally does to more nuanced conversations within a community. Right, you know, you know and to just like bring it back home. We have this talk so much when we talk about like black or white or, you know, like uh, men and women. It's always in a binary, which is <laughs> probably doing us a lot of harm. A lot of women identifying folks listen to this show. Think about like if our trans friends and family cannot feel safe and heard and listened to by us, what do you think that that means for the world at large? We're the people that are supposed to get it. And if we don't get it and we don't know how to like have those conversations in respectful and loving ways, it really cheapens the relationships that we think we have. And I know that like for like whenever we talk about like gender dynamics on the show, it's always like men and women. And there's always this assumption that like we all get it. You know, we're like, yes, like we're very clear on who the problem is and what's going on or whatever. And it's like, oh, well, actually, life's a little more complicated than that. You know, like <laughs> we all have a little bit of power over somebody. So wanting good allies in your whatever your struggle is means that you have to be a good ally to other people. Yeah. And being willing to examine the fact that like you can both be, as RuPaul clearly sees himself, the kind of like outsider in a lot of like mainstream culture. Mm -hmm. Like, while at the same time having a ton of power, like you're so right about that being something that's going on here. It's not just people like RuPaul who need to complicate their understanding. (laughs) This is the first time in a long time that a celebrity that I like has like, like I've been challenged like this. Because, you know, like, I don't really care about celebrities, so it's never been an issue. But this time I was like, whoa, this is real, but I'm not canceling RuPaul. Like, what is happening here? Just wait till I do a deep dive in some Michael Huseman interviews. You're just not ready. <laughs> um, listen, I'm going to tell you what I, I say to Michael Huseman's Instagram every day. Shh, you look pretty. Don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? It's like, like yeah. sometimes we got to be honest with ourselves. Like, you know. I, I, I love Drag Race. I hope that it is here for many iterations, but I also hope that it will change with the culture. And it's also a reminder that even something like Drag Race is not the best of what it could be. And that was like, that's a lesson for me. Yeah, I mean, how are you listening and adapting and evolving constantly? Like, that's the question. Individually, culturally, at a level of like people who have their own shows and talk shows, like how are you listening and adapting and changing to be responsive to the people who you do care about or at least purport to care about but we assume you do care you know yeah let's all do better (laughs) michelle obama voice be better better be better (laughs) yeah no i'm just you know i'm just trying to get free like we're all trying to get free so it's true we could all not geo ourselves
walking cancer cliche. I'm just like, learn everything, forgive everyone, eat, pray, love. (laughs) That's the headspace that I'm in. I'm even worse. I'm like, ever since my friend got cancer, my (laughs) eyes have really been opened. (laughs) Like, like not actually personally affected by literally anything, but like very high and mighty. Personally affected by cancer, you were a caretaker. Listen, we talk. We talk about this a lot at therapy. And yeah, you know, like we've already discussed this. I'm an impossible friend to help. And now I have to like fake being helped. And I feel like we found an equilibrium where everybody is happy. (laughs) (laughs) The Jenga tower is secure right now. (laughs) Oh my God. It totally, I have to say though, it has changed. Like I have another friend who in many ways, similar to you in terms of you know, not always wanting to let me be my most helpful, friendly self. And I like, I had a really good open conversation with her about it recently where I sort of said, hello, this is a dynamic I've witnessed. Let me love you. Yeah. <laughs> and it was great. So, you know, like, yeah, we're all, we're all, we're all getting you better. Know, that's what I'm saying. Like, we're all getting better. We're all fitting in. And here's the other thing. Let your friends help you because wow, like this shit is life changing. I look good and I feel great all the time. And you could too, if you slept 15 hours a day and let your friends take care of you. (laughs) Like I have no problems right now. So yeah. I mean, we're laughing, but like for real, I think that is a message a lot of people need to hear. Like let your community care for you in the way that they are trying to. No, seriously. Like what's the worst that could happen? My therapist asks me this all the time. Whenever I come with like my myriad of problems, I can't do this action because here will be the consequence. I can't like everything is crazy. I've like gamed it out to the point where I put myself in a corner. And she Mm -hmm. always just says, she's like, what's the worst that could happen? And then when you start thinking about these worst case scenarios, it's like, oh, this is fine. Everything's fine. (laughs) Part of it is I'm like, I don't want to be the object of pity. Like, and I didn't realize that so much of what I was doing was avoiding that. And then instead I was like, actually, like, what's the worst that could happen if people feel sorry for you? First of all, is that a real feeling? And what's the worst that that means? And actually it's like, oh, it's fine. It's totally fine. But here's what's like, for me, pity is this feeling that is like not tied to action. If I want to help someone who I love, it's not like I'm like, oh, it's because I pity them. It's because I'm like, like, I feel empathy and sympathy. Of course. You know what I mean? And I, like, and it's, I like, hear yeah. that. But I also think that the other place that I had to challenge myself is that, like, for somebody who is, like, supposedly so bad at receiving help, <laughs> I, like, also help people a lot. And I was like, totally. I'm like, I'm not helping them from a condescending place. Like, that's crazy. So it is condescending to give people help and not accept it. And I was like, okay, like, here's the thing that I do that is wrong and I need to stop doing this. Well, if you if you give people help, but you don't want to accept it, you're kind of insisting on a friendship imbalance, right? Like you're sort of, yeah. And like, that's the kind of thing too, that like, I feel very grateful that like, that's something that you and I can talk about. Cause like, I don't know, I have my own shit that I don't want to help with too, right? Like this is something I think everybody has. (laughs) Everybody has, like there have totally been times in my life when I've been like, I'm so upset about this. There's no way I'm talking to anyone else about it, even though like, obviously what would help the most. Um, (laughs) It's all, all a balance. It is. Like putting into the friendship bank withdrawing from the friendship it's bank. real you know it's like some years are gonna be amina dramatic years and some years will be and dramatic years so far i feel like i've had the last five years so i'm ready for you to go into a full crisis <laughs> so, the pain is coming for me so don't that, worry so can, i think so about that all the time pressure away from me but i'm equipped and i'm equipped i will catch you so listen you know 
It's just, but I think you know, that that's would, a thing yeah. to remember. And like, I want to know you for a long time. So clearly we got to pace ourselves, you know? Oh my God, completely, completely. Like I, yes, that's how I feel. I'm also like, this is just money in the bank for my future drama <laughs> when my future needs. Like, I am, I'm going to take such good care of you, baby. What? <laughs> I know it's good. You are going to be like fiercely mama bearing me and I can't even wait. I'm going to airlift you to Bora Bora and be like, nobody is touching Anne. <laughs> So my layer of scientists and help. <laughs> Just pictured you in the Ivanka turtleneck with a test tube. Um, like. <laughs> first of all, I already told you, turtleneck is a lab violation. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but you're just in there supervising, clearly, fair, right? Fair, 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 Yeah, it's fine, uh, you know? I don't know. I feel we, we talk a lot about this on CYG, about, like, being a brash, bold lady. There's no shame in getting help. You need all the tools that you can get. 100%. Uh, okay, on that note, I feel great. <laughs> I feel great, too. I'm going to go ask for more help from my friends <laughs> because it's snowing outside and I am not leaving the house. Amazing. I'm going to go eat lunch and meet with my bookkeeper. Oh Woo. my God. <laughs> you can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or an Apple podcast. We'd love it if you left us a review. You can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter in the bleed on the Call Your Girlfriend website. Uh, you can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. You the best, baby. See you on the internet. See you on the internet. <laughs> <laughs>